send if you have the digital one, or you can wait. We're at the end of the service, we're going to receive the offering. We're going to pass a basket. You can put the, uh, the connection card in the basket along with any physical offering that you have. So uh, we are continuing with 40 Days of Love. Uh, we're actually kind of winding down. Um, this is the last message that's connected to the booklets that we've been doing. If you've been part of a life group, we've been working through these booklets together, reading books together. And so uh, this week, our life groups aren't meeting since it's, it's Thanksgiving week, which is hard to believe. Uh, but then they'll resume the week after that uh, and, uh, and continue on with this theme. What, what we're going to do, just as far as messages go, I'm going to, on, uh, on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so next Sunday, I'm going to do a message that's kind of connected to this series um, about the Father's love, which is something that I, I haven't talked about that in a while, but, but just what it means for us to experience the love of the Father and, uh, and how that transforms our life when we're connected to the Father, Father heart of God. Uh, the week after that is going to be the final message in this series. Pastor Charles is going to be delivering it. I'm going to be in Bolivia. I'm traveling down to South America for a week to work, down, work with some vineyard churches down there, but Pastor Charles is going to finish everything up. And, uh, and then, uh, then we're going to be into Advent. We'll be into Christmas messages and, and getting ready for the Christmas season. Um, so the title of today's message uh, is The Secrets of Lasting Love. And so how do we have love that lasts for a lifetime, that can kind of just keep going in our life, that can keep growing and keep deepening? So this past week, we did something as a, the pastoral staff that we, we haven't, I don't know if we've ever done it before. We certainly haven't done it in a long time. Uh, we had a retreat. So Monday, to, Monday night to Wednesday morning, we were, uh, we know someone who's got this beautiful house on the, on the Long Island Sound, and so we, we were there, uh, and, uh, and it was just a great time for us to hang out, for us to, wasn't a lot of like church work that we did, it was more about us connecting relationally, and one of the exercises, one of the things that we did was we all had an opportunity, we had 10 minutes to tell our life story. So that's kind of a challenging thing because you think of this, like that's a, like a life is a lot, you know, and you only got 10 minutes. So what are you going to focus on? I, I didn't get past kindergarten in my, when I had my 10 minutes. No, I did. But, uh, but that's part of the interesting thing is that you could see like what do people highlight on? What is the, like what, you know, to see the, the main narrative of their life to bring them up to this point. So it was great to get to know people and hear their stories. And then we, we prayed for one another afterwards and, and had words and prophesied to each other and encouraged great. It was yeah, encourage one another. It was really great. And, and when I was preparing for this, when I was thinking about my life story, um, I was, it gave me a deeper appreciation of the one constant that I've had in my life, the one constant thing that I could always depend on, that I can always rely on, that I know is always going to be there and has made all the difference, and that is the unchanging love of God. That the love of God never changes. It's constant. It's steadfast. It's unwavering. It's enduring. God said through the prophet Isaiah, he said, I will show you my love forever. I will show you my love forever. Think about that. Like the reason you were created was so that God could show you his love forever. Um, so says the Lord who saves you. That he's gonna, he's, his love has been there throughout your whole life. Even the times you weren't aware of it, his love was there. His love is here today. His love is going to be here tomorrow. His love is going to be something that you can count on, something that you can depend on for all of eternity. And the foundation for a stable life is knowing that love of God. 
knowing that no matter what you go through, no matter what ups and downs you might have, the different seasons, there's, gonna be a, there's been a lot of changes in your life. There'll be more changes in your life. But the thing that you can know every moment of every day of every year for your whole existence is that you can depend, you can count on the fact that God will never stop loving you. That he's always going to love you. Is there anyone here this morning who's thankful for the unchanging love of God? Amen. But you see, here's kind of the flip side of it, right? Is that God, God wants us to know this love and walk in it. And then what he wants us to do is he wants us to give it away. He wants us to treat the people in our life with the same constant, unchanging, enduring, consistent love that we've received from him. John 15, verse 12, Jesus said, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So love one another with the same consistency, the same kind of love that I've loved you, this same reliable, unchanging, consistent, steadfast, unwavering, enduring love. Now, we have a little bit of a hard time with this. Our culture is, in a lot of ways, I think, a throwaway culture, right? You buy a couch at Ikea, and probably in 18 months, it's going to fall apart. You're going to have to get another couch. Whereas, like, like, you probably got, like, furniture from your grandparents, right? And your great, because they used to make furniture that would last for a while. We don't do that anymore. But it's the same thing with relationships. We just think we can throw away relationships, and, and especially we see this show up in marriages in our culture, right? Marriages, which is supposed to be that, that one enduring, consistent relationship in your life, this love that lasts a lifetime, but and you probably heard the stat that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's actually not accurate. It's, it's a little bit better than, not much better than that. But the way that they kind of come up with that number, it's kind of complicated, but it's not totally accurate. But it's 41% of marriages end in divorce. And then what's interesting is that 60% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. You would think that if somebody goes from their first marriage to their second marriage to the third marriage, that maybe they're figuring some stuff out. But I think actually what it means is that people were like, I'm out, you know, I'm out. And then you go into the next relationship without having done the work that kind of blew up your first relationship. And so... So how is it that we can have a love that lasts a lifetime? How can we treat those in our life with the, the same kind of love that God gives us? And so what we're going to do here this morning, is very simple message, the way this is going to be kind of framed and presented. We're going we're to have a foundation here of one verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, and it's taken from the great love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13, which just talks about love. And so one of the verses says about love, it says, love always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So what we're going to do is we're going to break that down. We're going to talk about these four different aspects of love. We're going to get into what the actual Greek word is and, and what this means for our life so we can have loving relationships that last a lifetime. And so the first one is this. Lasting love extends grace. Lasting love extends grace. No relationship is going to make it. If you're not displaying grace in that relationship, you're going to have to get used to forgiving people. You're going to have to get used to showing mercy and patience and acceptance and grace. We need to cut people some slack, right? Because all of us, every single one of us, we're all a lot, right? You're a lot. I'm a lot. Anyone you're in a relationship with, they're a lot, right? And so, so we're going to have to put up with a lot. 
And there's no way that we're going to have a lasting relationship if we don't extend grace. So 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, love always protects. Another translation says, uh, love never stops being patient. Another one says, love patiently accepts all things. Another one says, love is always ready to make allowances. So the Greek word that produces all these different translations, because that's the thing about the Greek. The Greek language is, is, is very precise. And, and so a lot of times there's like eight different English words that get the fullness of like the one Greek word. And so the Greek word is stego. And it literally means to cover with a roof. That's literally what that, mean, that word means. And so if we're going to have relationships, we have to cover one another, right? And so think about how hard it would be to get a good night's sleep if your house didn't have a roof. Right. I remember 21 years ago when I went on my first trip to Bolivia, because I've been, I've been involved with the churches down in Bolivia for the last 21 years. And, uh, and so initially, there were a group of five pastors. We went down together, me and my associate pastor, Paul Hoffman at the time, who's now in Bolivia. Um, but, uh, and, then, and then some pastors from a church in Philadelphia and a, a, another, another church. And we went down and... Uh, and there was one church that was a vineyard, and so we wanted to get to know them. And there were some other churches that wanted to become vineyards. So we needed to kind of start that process of trying to see the Lavinia movement in Bolivia. And, uh, and so I remember the first night we got there, we got to Santa Cruz, and we went to the church that we were working with. And then they split us all up, and we got to stay with people in their homes. And so for whatever reason, I think, I don't know why, but they kind of thought of me as the leader of the pastors, even though I wasn't. We were just all down there together. And I got to stay with this guy named Jose Luis. And Jose Luis was the chief comptroller, you know, in charge of all of the finances, worked for the government, for Santa Cruz, for the state of Santa Cruz. He eventually went on to be the comptroller for the, for the entire country of Bolivia. So Jose Luis was pretty wealthy. And Jose Luis lived in a mansion. And so I'm like, I'm in South America. I think I'm going to, you know, it's going to be rough in a little bit. I'm staying in this mansion. I stay in this. I have this, I have this room all to myself. There's a TV in the room with cable. So I'm able to watch Sports Center at night, in, you know, in Bolivia. And it's like the food was incredible. There was someone, I remember I came home and someone had taken all of my T-shirts and ironed my T-shirts and folded. I was like living large, right? And so the next morning I got together with all the other pastors. And, and so two of them had gone to this one house together. And I said, oh, so how was it last night? And they're like, oh man, it was rough. The house we were staying in, it didn't really have a roof. And, and it was cold and it was raining and we were sleeping on the floor and it was really, really tough. It was really difficult. How was it for you? And I was like, it was all right. It was... I did okay. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. You know, I had to rough it a little bit. And then like two days later, they had a, you know, Jose Luis had a dinner for everyone. And people were like, Phil, you're living large. How can we? And, and so I don't know. Hopefully I'm going to be staying with Jose Luis when I go down there in a week. Prayers up for that because, you know, that's a good deal. But, um, but anyway, so, so we need to show that kind of love. We need to, to be that roof to cover because we understand that everyone we have a relationship with is broken. And so we understand that relationships are fragile and people have issues and we have issues. And so we're not always going to try to get our pound of flesh, right? We're not going to haul people in front of the tribunal for every little thing that they've done because we understand that relationships are fragile, people are fragile, and we need to be a roof to cover. That's why grace is so essential to relationships, especially in marriages. Because the one thing you can be sure of in your marriage is that you married a sinner, and they married a worse sinner, 
right? And we've got to be able to extend grace to one another. You're imperfect. Your friend is imperfect. The church is imperfect. Where it's always every relationship are two imperfect people who need grace in order for the relationship to endure. Romans 3.10 says, there's no one who always does what is right, not even one. And so if you're, in a, if you're having relational conflict with someone and you think it's all them, see, the problem is, is you're not, you're not thinking about the relationship biblically. You're not thinking about the relationship accurately because it takes two, because your brokenness is showing up in that relationship, their brokenness is showing up in that relationship, and we need grace to be the roof. It says this in Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. And so Jesus has accepted us with all our brokenness, all our faults, all our issues, and, and if we're going to have lasting love, we need need to do that for one another. And so the second thing is this. Lasting love expresses faith. And so if you have the app, you might want to open it up because I got fill in the blanks and all the verses and you can follow along. But the kind of love that you want in your marriage, in your friendships, in all of your relationships, the love that lasts a lifetime is a, is a, is a relationship that's built on trust, that faith and trust go together. Right, that we make sure that trust is a part of our relationships, that we believe in the people that we're doing life with. That's what love is. I believe in you. I trust you. I have confidence in you. You can do it. And so the Greek word for trust here, because the NIV says love always trusts, the Greek word is pisteo. Other translations say love never loses faith. Uh, love never stops believing. And so if we're going to have healthy relationships, we need to trust. There needs to be trust in your marriage. There needs to be trust in your families. There needs to be trust in your friendships. And what we need to understand is that trust is a choice. And so you may think, no, 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 trust isn't a choice. Like somebody does something and then I can't trust them anymore. And that's the end of the story. I have to be suspicious. I can't trust them. I want to teach you something here very quickly uh, that I've done like entire sermons on because I think relationally this is one of the most helpful things that I've ever come across and I think it's something that can really help you. I was talking to some people after the first service and they were saying specifically how, how this concept was so helpful. You see we need to understand that love is going to put trust in a relationship. Because every relationship that you have, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a child, whether it's with a church, whether it's with coworkers, there's going to be what you expect from that relationship, and then there's going to be what you experience in that relationship. And there's always going to be a gap. And so a healthy relationship will put trust in the gap. So, for example, let's say you and I are going to have dinner. We're going to meet at a restaurant at 7 o'clock. And I'm there five minutes before 7. I'm there. I'm good to go, ready to go. And it's like 20 after 7, and you're not there yet, right? And so you're late, and you didn't let me know, and I'm just sitting there. And, and, so, and so, so what I need to do in that situation is I need to put trust into that relationship. I need to say, oh, they must have hit traffic. Or, oh, things are going on, and they're really busy. Or something's going on. Or maybe, maybe there's a coworker, and you expect that coworker to deliver something by a certain point, by a certain time, and they don't right? It's not, it's late. It doesn't happen. It's not the way you expect. You need to put trust in that, in that gap. And you need to say, okay, well, maybe they've got a lot of other projects. They've got a lot of other things going on. Maybe I didn't communicate accurately how important this was. And so maybe next time I have to be a little bit clearer, right? Maybe with a child, right? You, you expect them to get A's and they bring home a B. And so that creates a gap. 
What are you going to put in that gap? Love chooses to put trust into that gap instead of, instead of suspicion. Right? In all relationships, there are gaps between what we expect and what is delivered, and we love chooses to put trust in there. Love, what it means is that, is that when they're late... Right, we choose to say, well, you know, maybe there was, if there's trust, we say, okay, there was traffic or something was going on. If there's suspicion, what we do is we put into that gap, they don't care about me. They don't value my time. They're selfish. Maybe you're deal working with a contractor and you try, you know, you, you, you've worked with the contractor before doing some work at your house, but then it ends up costing a little bit more than you expected. If there's trust, you say, all right, well, there's inflation and there's supply chain issues and these things always cost a little bit more. And so I, I, I think that's probably accurate. Maybe we just didn't figure out enough here going into it. But if there's suspicion, you think, oh, they're a crook. Oh, they're trying to rip me off. You know, I need to call the Better Business Association. If, uh, you know, if there's a, a phone call that you expect from someone and they don't call you or whatever, whatever it might be, if, if uh, you know, if, if someone uh, doesn't deliver the thing that you think needs to be delivered, there's a gap that's there. What are you going to put in that gap? When the relationship is healthy, when it's good and it's functioning, we put trust in. But when the relationship goes bad, if the relationship with your spouse has gone bad or the relationship with your church or with your pastor has gone bad, what you do is you put suspicion in. And we've all experienced that. You know that there have been times when, you know, relationships are frayed. And so now the person's wearing lenses where it doesn't matter what you do, it's something that stirs up suspicion. So that even if you say, good morning, what, you know, how are you today? They treat that suspiciously. Everything creates suspicion. And so I've seen this. I've seen this up close and personal. When marriages go bad, when they get toxic, it's because suspicion is going in rather than trust. When friendships break, it's because suspicion is going in rather than trust. When people begin to disengage from a church and start to get upset with the church, it's usually not that the church has changed what they're doing. It's that for some reason, the relationship frayed and suspicion now starts to go in instead of trust. And so the first thing to go is always trust. And so what the Bible tells us is that love always trusts, that we make the decision to put trust into the gaps. And if you will do that, it will, it will mean that you have a healthy relationship. If you don't put trust, if you have a whole church staff where no one's trusting each other and there's suspicion and not trust, that's an unhealthy church staff. If you have an unhealthy team at work, what's making it unhealthy is that people are putting suspicion in the gaps rather than trust. And so what I want to encourage you to do, and I put this in your notes, is there are three commitments that we need to make to one another. Three commitments. If you want a healthy marriage, if you want healthy friendships, make these three commitments and follow along in the app here because this is something we need to remember. See, number one, love makes the decision that when there is a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'm going to fill it with trust. That we're going to say, I'm sure he didn't mean it to sound that way. I'm sure there's a good explanation. Or she's under a lot of stress. I'm going to choose to believe the best about you. I'm going to choose to trust you because that's what I want you to do for me. Right? We want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. We're to love people, you know, we're to, we're to love people the way that we expect, but we want them to love us. And so we want them to trust us. We do the same for them. 
The second thing is this. When I observe others filling the gaps with suspicion, I'm going to come to your defense. And so what that means, if you're a husband or a wife and you're out with your friends and everybody's, you know, maybe they're ragging on their spouses. You don't like join in or maybe somebody's saying something negative about your spouse. You don't be like, well, you don't know the half of it. You don't know how bad they really are. You come to their defense for your friends that they would know that you have their back. And so if somebody is casting suspicion on them, you're going to say, well, you know, wait a minute, maybe you're not taking this into account, or maybe this was going on, or, or maybe you need to talk to them and find out directly what's going on, that, that we have that commitment that we're going to have each other's back, and if other people are casting aspersions and suspicion about you, you're going to come to their defense. And the third thing is this, if it gets to a point where uh, what I experience and see begins to erode my trust, I'm going to come directly to you about it. So let's say we're supposed to have you know, dinner or lunch together, and you're late 30 minutes, you know, five times in a row. Well, eventually I'm going to start to say, well, wait a minute, you know what, it's getting hard for me to just put trust in, the, in this relationship because of the pattern that I'm seeing. Or maybe you might say, it's getting really hard for me to believe that they're telling me the truth. And so when we get to that place where we're trying to put trust into the gaps, but their behavior, their patterns are making it really hard to put trust in, we go directly to them and we have a conversation with them. And we say, listen, I love you. I value you. We're working together. Whatever it is, I'm trying to trust you, but these behaviors are making it hard for me to trust. And what can we do to see trust restored? Right? We make that commitment to go directly to, go directly to one another, that we're not going to let a negative impression form about them. We're now, we just, we don't say anything. We just start putting suspicion into all the gaps. We will not talk about them with someone else. We're going to come straight to the person and we're going to talk with them about how trust can be restored. I'm telling you, this is the thing that if, if you are thinking that a relationship that you have is unhealthy and is toxic and is a problem, 99% of them have to do with this. You're choosing to put suspicion in rather than trust. But love always trusts. So you've got to do the work so that you can put trust back into those gaps. The third thing is this. Lasting love expects the best. Love that's going to last is hopeful. It's positive. It expects the best from people. In verse 7, it says, love always hopes. And the Greek word is elpizo, and it means an attitude of looking forward, a trusting, confident hope. Other translations say love never stops hoping, love always expects the best, love always looks for the best. Now here's like a reality, is that people have a tendency, the people in our life, they have a tendency to either live up or live down to the expectations that we have. And so if you have really low expectations for the people in your life, if you're always saying, like, you always do this and you never do that and you're, you know, this is, this is what you always, you always, you know, or just kind of going halfway or whatever it is, they're going to live down to those expectations. But if you're positive about people, if you say to people, I believe in you, I'm for you, I'm, I, I trust you, they're going to live up to those expectations. There's this guy named Bruce Wilkinson, and he's, uh, he's the author of the book, The Prayer of Jabez. 
Perez. And before he was an author and a speaker, he taught at a university in, uh, in Oregon, I think it was. And so he writes, he tells a story in, in one of his books about his very first semester teaching at this university. And he's at a faculty meeting. And everybody's got their class list. And so he's probably teaching, you know, five or six different classes. And so someone, uh, someone who'd been there for a while, looks at his class list and says, wow, you're really lucky. You have two group A classes. And so Bruce said, well, what's a group A class? And he said, well, what we do is we take the brightest students. We take the ones who are the most motivated, the easiest to work with, the ones who are super responsible, really engaging in class, and we put them all together. We group them together because we find that they just, you know, the excellence just kind of compounds. And so you're very lucky. You have two group A classes. You're going to find that they're like super engaging. They're a lot of fun. They're going to do all the work. You're going to love those classes. And so he went into his five or six classes, but, man, he loved his group A classes. I mean, they were the best. The, the, he looked forward to them, you know, the, the, the discussions that would happen, the, the grades that were being given out, the thoughtfulness to the term papers were just completely different from his other classes. And, he, and so we got to the end of the semester, and he's at another faculty meeting, and a different professor, you know, he's talking with a different professor, and he says to this professor, man, I hope that I get some more group A classes. And this other professor said to him, he said, we don't do that anymore. We used to do that, but we stopped doing that six or seven years ago. And I don't know what that first professor was doing, some kind of sociological experiment or something. But Bruce, he went back and he's like, those classes were so different. What was going on? The grades were better. Clearly, the dynamics within the classroom were better. He went and he looked at the, at the term papers they wrote. They were longer. They were more thoughtful. There were more footnotes. And what he realized is he expected more out of what he thought were Group A classes. And so they lived up to that expectation. And that's a, that's a powerful thing for us to realize because I want you to think about the people in your life. Are you believing the best about them? Are you always hoping for them? Or is the way that you're treating them and the low level of expectations that you have for them kind of setting them, setting them up for failure, making it so that they're going to they're gonna come down to that lowest common denominator? You see, what you need to do in your relationships to display love is don't tell it like it is. Tell it like it could be. See, that's what love does. Love always hopes. Love always expects the best. Love says, I see what you could become. I see your potential. I believe in you. I expect good things. And I was thinking about this in relationship to my preaching. Right? Because this is something that I try to do in my preaching. And I didn't always do this. But years ago, I began to like, shift a little bit. Because what I realized is that it's not going to be helpful if week after week after week, I stand up here and I point my bony finger at all of you and say, you're all a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. Now, the reality is, to one degree or another, we are all a little bit a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners, right? Because we're all broken. We're all in process. But what I've realized is more effective is if, I, if, I, if in my preaching and in our worship songs and everything, we talk about what God is up to in our life. We talk about what God is calling us to. We say, God wants to heal you. God is for you. You're made on purpose for a purpose. There are good deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And as you get closer to Jesus, you're going to come 
come into the life that he has for you and you're going to experience change, you're going to experience transformation. What I have found is that when, when I call us to, to aspire to what God says about us, that's what changes lives. That's what makes a difference. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And actually, that's what God does for us. See, that's exactly what God does for us. God doesn't treat us as we are. God treats us as we can be. The wonder of the gospel is that because of what Jesus has done by shedding his blood, he who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. God is able to treat us like we're Jesus, even though we're not. And from him being able to treat us like we're Jesus, we're able to see transformation in our life so we become more and more like him. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 62, verses 2 to 4. And God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says, The nations will see your vindication, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. See, that's what God does. He does and, and in the Hebrew culture, names had to do with character. Names had to do with what you did, who you were. God says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm not going to call you what you've been. I'm going to call you what you can be. I'm going to bestow upon you a new name, and it goes on. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. That's what you were. That's not who you are anymore. But you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. What I want to encourage you with this morning is that God believes in you. He believes in you. He loves you. He's for you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for you while you were still a sinner. Jesus died for you because he believes in you, because he's for you. And love extends us this grace. Love, love never stops hoping, and love always expects the best. And so if we want lasting love, we need to expect the best of those around us. And the fourth thing is this. Lasting love endures the worst. Love endures the worst. Lasting love is persistent. It is determined. It is diligent. It is resolute. It is almost stubborn in its insistence that it will not give up on this relationship. Verse 7, it says, love always perseveres. The Greek word is hypomeno, and it means to resist, to resist the urge to walk away from the relationship, to stand firm by holding one's ground for another. Other translations say love never gives up. Love endures through every circumstance. The message says love never looks back but keeps going to the end. And one of the great secrets of lasting love, if you want a marriage, if you want friendships, if you want a relationship with a church that's going to endure, that's going to be lasting, is that you stay put, that you don't give up, you hang on, don't let go, especially when things are hard. Because there are things that you're going to learn when, relate, when you've got to work through some things in relationships. There are things that you're going to learn that you won't learn anywhere else. There are things that you're going to... If you just flit from one relationship to another, you're never going to do the hard work of transformation that God wants to do in your heart. Because you're just going to run away from your problems. You're going to run away from what it is you bring to the relationship. What God would have you work on. This is especially true in marriage. See, we, we have bought in as a culture, we've bought into the, the kind of rom-com myth of what marriage is all about. And we think that marriage is to make us happy. 
But you know what? The reality of it is marriage isn't to make us happy. Happiness can be a byproduct of marriage, but to be honest, marriage makes us holy. I mean, think about, think about marriage, right? Marriage is crazy. So, so you, you get married. Like, I do a lot of weddings. And sometimes these, like, 22, 23, 24-year-olds, doughy-eyed kids, they're making these promises, and they're just, like, floating, and it's like, oh, if they only knew. <laughs> they only knew. This is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. And a lot of times they say the first year of marriage is the hardest, right? Because, because you're a broken person. You've got issues. You've got stuff. But when you're out, like, among, you know, your friends in the world and stuff, you can cover it up. You can kind of, you know, you can put your best foot forward. You can kind of push down some of those dysfunctions that are there in your personality. But when you're married, you can't do that, right? I mean, your issues are going to, they're right there. Their issues are right there. You wake up in the same bed every single morning. You share the same bathroom. You're raising kids together. You're doing life together. Like, you're going to have to deal with your issues, (laughs) you know? You're going to have to. You're going to have to become less selfish. You're going to have to learn how to put another person's needs ahead of your own. You're going to come face to face with those broken issues in your life, and you're going to have to deal with them in in order for there, for there to be happiness, in order for there to be stability in your relationship. And there is nothing that produces personal transformation and change and more Christ-likeness than, than, a, than a successful marriage. Like God will do a work in your heart through marriage, a deeper level of work than he can anywhere else. And so let me just say this to married couples. If you're here this morning, or if you're watching on the live stream, and you came in here thinking that you might give up, Like, you're thinking, like, I think I'm ready to call the attorneys. I think maybe we're done. I want to encourage you to not do that. I want to encourage you to stay committed, stay in, do the hard work. Now, the one caveat I'll put to this is if you're in a relationship that's physically abusive, if you're physically not safe, that's a totally different story. And if that is going on with anybody that I'm talking to today— reach out to me, email me, call me, talk to me, and we'll figure out how to get you safe and how to move forward. But if, if the thing that's making you think about the lawyer is that you just say, well, we've grown apart, or they're not considerate enough of my needs, or, or I'm just not happy anymore, or I don't think I love them anymore, or somebody looks more attractive, the grass is greener on the other side of that hill. If that's what make, what's making you thinking about giving up on your marriage, don't do it. Because you took vows. And listen, our culture right now is really jacked up in a lot of ways. I've, I've heard that there, I would never do this in a wedding, but, but there are some people who take vows, and in their vows, they say, rather than as long as we both shall live, they say as long as we both shall love. And like if that's said at a, as that's said at a wedding ceremony, I hope their attorney is there because they should start the paperwork like right away because there's no way that it's, that it's going to work. And so you made vows, right? You stood before God and everyone else and you said that you were going to stay committed for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health for as long as you both shall live. And so if you need counseling, get counseling. Work through the hard times. Learn how to communicate. Restore trust. I am telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. Norm and I have been married for over 31 years. And I can say this with absolute honesty, that that apart from my relationship with Jesus, the best part of my life, the most valuable thing that I have in my life is my relationship with Norma. 
And there have been times that we've had to, you know, we've had difficult times. We've had to work through stuff. We've had to grow together. But I can say that right now, after 31 years, she is my romantic partner. She is my best friend. She is my soulmate. She is my confidant. She is the mother of my children. No one makes me laugh the way that she makes me laugh. There's no one that I would rather talk to. There's no one that I would rather spend time with. And I am so grateful. I am so thankful that God has brought her into my life. And I'm so grateful for the work that God has done as two imperfect people with Jesus in the center have tried to work it out. And so now we're at this interesting place, this interesting phase in our life where we're empty nesters. Our kids are grown. They're out of the house. But we have, we have never been closer than we are right now. And we look forward to the next 20, 30, 40 years that we have together because it's it ha being committed to that relationship and working through the hard, the hard times and letting God do the slow, steady work of transformation through my marriage is the best thing that I've ever done and is the most valuable thing that I have in my life. And so listen, I don't know if God, you know, brought someone here today just so you can hear this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't believe the lies of the culture. Understand that, that what God has joined together, let no one separate and do the work in, in your marriages, but in all of our relationships, that when there's conflict, when there's difficulty, love that, that lasts says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to persevere because, there's, because you're someone who's made in the image of God. You have unsurpassable worth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay committed to this relationship. And we're going to try to work this out. And we're going to try to get through this hard time. And so learning to love is the single greatest gift in life. Right? We went into this series saying that, that the goal for all of our lives, the macro goal for each and every one of us, the most important thing is that we grow in love. There's all sorts of other things that we're going to work on, all sorts of other you know, challenges and, and, and projects and things that we do, but nothing is more important than growing in the fact that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you learn to love your neighbor and your spouse and your friend and everyone else as you love yourself. And these four things that we've been talking about today, this is exactly the way God loves us, right? God extends us grace. Think about the grace that you've received. Think about what you've been forgiven for. Think about like God knows you better than you know yourself, and he's forgiven you of things that you've forgotten about. That even when you were still sinners, Christ died for you. He has extended grace. He has extended mercy to you. He, he believes in you. He expresses faith in you. He created you. The Bible says that, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb. He, the, the level of belief and trust that he has in you is he said, I'm going to create this person. I'm going to die for this person. My Holy Spirit's going to live inside of this person. He is for you. And there's so much more that he has for you. And he's changed your name. How many of us here would say, wow, God has changed my name. My name used to be this. My life used to be about rejection, but now my life's about acceptance. My life used to be about anger and hatred, but now more and more my life is becoming about love. My life used to be about insecurity. I was tossed on the waves of all the time, just here, there, and everywhere. But now I'm standing on a rock, and there's a stability, and there's a foundation that I have in my life because God believes in you, and God has changed your name, and God will never stop loving you. 
you can be sure that the one thing you can count on today is that God loves you, that God is for you, that he's always in your corner. And you can be sure that that's going to be his attitude towards you tomorrow and next year and next decade, and that you're going to be able to enjoy the steadfast, immovable love of God for all of eternity as the foundation of your life. And so what God is saying to us, what he's, what he's saying to us in this is say, he's saying, I want you to walk in the love that I have for you, right? Love, love, the, the love that always hopes, that always trusts, that always perseveres, that we can always count on. God says, live in that, know my love, and then give it away to other people because the most valuable thing that we have in our life are our relationships. And you know what? The older we get, we so, I, I so appreciate the people that I've known for years, the people who have known me through, through lots of different seasons and lots of different stations in life, and it's just so easy in today's culture to get offended by something, to have something happen, and we walk away from these lifelong relationships because we don't understand how valuable they are. God wants you to have marriages, friendships, you know, even the way that you collaborate with your coworkers, your relationship with your church, he wants you to be set up in such a way that you can have many loves, many relationships that last a lifetime. And so let's close our eyes right now. You don't have to stand. Let's just close our eyes. Because I just want to speak right now to anyone who's here who maybe would say, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I haven't come into that experience, that, that relationship of surrender. We sang about that this morning. Like we surrender to God in lots of different ways in our lives, but ultimately it starts with us surrendering our whole life to Him. And that's what the Bible calls the born-again experience. We surrender our life to Him. We invite Him in. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And then God's love is now in us. And he starts the work of transformation from the inside out. And so if you're here this morning or watching on the live stream this morning and you're not sure that you've ever done that, if you're not sure that you've ever surrendered your whole life to Jesus in this way, I want to give you an opportunity to do that because it makes all the difference. The best thing I have in my life is the relationship I have with Jesus when I was 17 years old, when I surrendered my life to Him. It has made all the difference being able to build my life on that steadfast, immovable love of God. And I don't know how people get through life without that. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. I don't know how you deal with all the twists and turns and challenges and stuff that's thrown at us, thrown at us without having that, that intimate, personal relationship with God where you know that you know that you know that He loves you and He's for you. And so if you don't have that or you're not sure you have that, I want to give you an opportunity to have that. Bible says that as many as received Him, to those He gave the right to become children of God. And so I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him. And so just pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it quietly in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need your steadfast love as my foundation. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead so that you can now live inside of me. Please forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, I want to live a life that's surrendered to you. 
I want to live my life relying and depending on your steadfast love. I receive you not only as my Savior, but as the Lord or the boss of my life. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you prayed that prayer to surrender to Jesus, okay, I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. On the back of your connection card, just check off that you decided to follow Jesus. Or what you can do is text FOLLOW to 201-584-7188. And then there's some things that we'll send you in the mail this week that'll help you. Because a relationship with Jesus like this is a journey. It's steps. It's multiple steps. And we just want to, you know, you're, you're saved and you're from that foundation. The, the life of discipleship is a life of, of taking steps to be closer to Him. And we want to send you some things that will help you. We're going to pass the offering basket right now. So those of you who are sitting uh, in that last section there, look under your seat. You'll see a basket. Just pass it down. You can put the connection card uh, in the basket as it passes by. Um, if you have a physical offering, you can put that in too. The prayer team got together this morning and they had a sense that God wanted to heal some people. And so they had a sense that there's someone here who has pressure on the right side of their face and their ear, uh, that, that God wants to take away that pain. Someone else who's been dealing with a, a, a chronic sense of, uh, of pain that's been in their throat, that God wants to heal you. And I'll, I'll just say this also, that, that I think that this is a time for us to really pray into some of those hard relationships that if you know that there's some relationships that need to be restored, if there are some important relationships that you're wondering if they're going to make it to be lifelong relationships, we want to pray for you that God would give you the wisdom and grace and courage that you need to have those conversations and to do the work of restoration so that you can have that love that lasts a lifetime. So let's all stand together. And so, Lord, I just bless your presence here right now. And I pray, God, for the marriages that are frayed right now, where there isn't trust, there's suspicion. I pray for the friendships that are painful. Lord, I pray for those, the relationships in our life right now is that, where there's separation. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, that you give us grace, that you'd give us hope, because you are the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power is available to transform our lives and to resurrect our relationships. And so, God, I pray right now, if there's anyone here who feels like their marriage is dying, God, I pray that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would come into this marriage and would, would resurrect this marriage. I pray that you'd give them the grace and the hope that they need to believe that you, God, can make a difference, that you can make a way where there is no way. So come, Holy Spirit. And God, I just pray too, Lord, that just right now in this quiet moment, that we would hear you speak over us the new name that you've given us. That you've given us a new name. That we're no longer rejected. We're no longer rebellious. We're no longer alone. We're no longer fearful. That you've called us beloved. You've called us restored. You've called us married to you, God, united to you. That the old is gone, the new has come. So God, I pray that we would hear your heart for us right now. And we would hear you speak that new name that you've given us. So come, Holy Spirit. I bless your presence here. 
We're going to close the service. We're going to have some people from the prayer team. They'll be right over here. They'd love to pray with you. If you need physical healing, if there are relational issues, if there's marriage issues, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you uh, this morning before you leave. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. See you Wednesday night for the Thanksgiving service. Have a great week.